So um, you just make that check out whenever you need to. What a contrast, though. Uh, when we think about the things that are happening in the world and we think about something like the stock indexes and the different things uh, that are troubling some and worrying some, and then we think about the one person who, I, I heard it on the news uh, yesterday, has a 1 in 292 million chance of actually winning the Powerball. They said you could, you could flip a coin and you'd have to flip a coin 30 times in a row and get heads every single time. That's the same type of chance that you've got. You've got a much better chance at getting struck by lightning or you know, a million other things going, or 292 million other things happening to you, I guess. Um, but what a contrast it is. And when we say that we're believing in God for greater things, if you came in today and you haven't been here a while or you weren't here last week, these white things, take a look at the walls here. Uh, there's different little prayer posters that we put up uh, that we'll leave up for different uh, times in our, in our season uh, this year. But it talks about salvation and healing needs for our church, for others, and personal needs. Uh, there are all types of things that are written down there. I put on my Facebook post um, earlier this week, hey, our church is praying. If you just comment and put your prayer request. And I'm telling you, people everywhere, all over, started comments and saying, Pray for this, pray for this, you know, pray for my spouse, we're having trouble, pray for my sister, she's in the hospital. Uh, we prayed one night this week uh, when somebody sent me a message and said, hey, pray for my sister Jenna. She has preeclampsia, she's got uh, twins that are expected. We prayed for her and they were born healthy and happy and mom is doing well. I believe that God answers prayer, amen? amen? And so we believe that as a church that he answers prayer. And so we believe that God is going to do greater things in our life than he's already even done. Can you, can you reach out and grab a little bit more faith today to believe that God can do something greater in your life than he's already even accomplished? That's a, that's a stretch for me as a person because I've seen God do some pretty incredible things in my life. And the expectation can be there for each one of us that God can do even greater things. In fact, the word of God says Jesus' own words told his disciples that when he was leaving the earth, that they would do greater things than they saw him do. He was talking in a very clear sense about the things that had happened during his ministry, about the healing, about the different miracles and stuff that had taken place. He said, you're going to see and you're going to be part of even greater things than this. I want that for my own life and for our church. I want that for your personal life. And this is not, I say the disclaimer all the time that I feel like I need to continue to say it, especially when I'm preaching about money. And I'm glad you didn't know I was preaching about it because some of you might not come today. But anyway, I'm preaching about money and we're going to talk about money and finance in scripture. But I always make this disclaimer that I am not a proponent of the prosperity gospel. There are people who are way off in left field on the subject of money as according to God. They think, you know, the Abraham covenant means that everybody's going to get a Cadillac, that you can just, you know, put up the picture of that dream house and God's going to give it to you. Well, guess what? Real stuff in real life takes real work, <laughs> right? So even, even if you are at the place where you've been childless and you've been believing God to bring you a child, guess what's involved there? There's something involved between the two parents, is there not? Right? Amen? Okay, you're picking up what I'm putting down. If you're believing God for a job and you're jobless, what does that mean? Yes, God, I need you to supply a job, but does that mean that you shouldn't go and apply places? No, it absolutely means that you have to do your part, right? And God will do his part. 
He's a promise-keeping God. We've talked about that recently, and I, I really can't stress that enough, that throughout Scripture, He is a promise-keeping God. Every promise that He's ever made, He has kept, is keeping, or will fulfill. That's awesome when you think about it. So when we talk about believing God for greater things, we can think about maybe relational issues. We can think about career issues. We can think about uh, something written on these posters. We can think about healing for some condition that seems like it's not possible for doctors to do anything. We can believe God for greater things. And when it comes to the area of finance, we can believe God for greater things as well. Our church has believed God for greater things in this realm of finance. And our church has recently come to the end of its renovations budget. In November 2014, if you haven't been around a long time, or maybe you've forgotten, <laughs> I hope you've not forgotten if you've been around for a while, but in November 2014, we were blessed with a single one-time anonymous gift of $150,000. Yeah. It was a miracle we were not expecting. Uh, we were not truly, I don't think, as a church praying for something like that. We were just praying, God, get us through the day. God, help us. And yes, God, we do have needs. But God did something that was greater than what we could have imagined. That blessing that came in enabled us to complete much-needed renovations in the facility and also accomplish outreach and ministry in our community and in our church that previously we could not have done. Do me a favor. Look down at the carpet. Right now. Is there still work to be done? Yes, there is still work to be done. But we have believed God for greater things, and we've seen him provide above and beyond. There is still work to be done, and we continue to believe him for those greater things. But the greater things that you believe God for will depend on the season that you're in. If you're in a season of childlessness, you're believing God to give you the gift of a child, then obviously that's the thing that's stretching your faith in that area. And I have a feeling in a room even this small with this crowd, there must be someone in here who has the issue of finance where they're saying, I believe in God to do something. Maybe it's meet needs because it's paycheck to paycheck. Maybe it's do something abundant or beyond what you ask or think because there's a blessing that you're hoping that God will pour out to bless others. Whatever it might be, we have to say that whatever greater things we're believing God for depends on the season that we're currently in. Because that's where we're headed. So you're dying if you're stagnant, if you're staying still, you're pretty much declining or dying. But we're always trying to move forward. We're always trying to believe God for greater things. And that's not as a result of being discontent. It's not as a result of uh, being unsatisfied. It's not as a result of looking for a Cadillac. It's as a result of believing that God is who he says he is. And he's promised to be faithful to us as his kids. That means that not every want will get seen about, but every need will be taken care of. Mm -hmm. If you remember the words of Jesus, he says in Scripture in the New Testament during his ministry, he says there's a, a long passage of Scripture that talks about the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. And he says, if God cares about those things and makes sure they're taken care of, how much more does he value you? So this is good for us to start out the new year. Some of you may be making some decisions financially in the new year. You may be having some choices that lie ahead of you. We do as a church. There's always things to be done and things to be considered and things to be talked about when it comes to that area of finance. So the season that you're in helps determine what greater things you are believing God for. We are now entering a new season as a church. 
Having said what I said a minute ago about our renovation budget, we have burned through that renovation budget in the course of a year because there was many, many needs in our facility. So now at the end of that, I say this not metaphorically, but I say it in realist terms or realistically, that we are entering and have entered into a new season as a church. Sometimes it's hard to delineate the season of your life that you're in. Sometimes there's challenges. Sometimes if you've been around here for the last couple of days, it's hot like summer. And then the next day it's freezing cold like the dead of winter. And you're like, wait a second, what season am I in? And then sometimes there are moments like when you're at the hospital and labor and delivery. And you walk out a couple days later with the baby, you know the season has changed, all right? You understand it has changed, and it has changed for the better. Somebody say amen with four kids. Uh, amen, amen. But um, as we launch into the new season that we're going into, it's important that we maintain our perspective. This is the thing about finance. Sometimes we forget, well, I would say a lot of times, we forget the faithfulness of God in the little things when it comes to the area of finance in our life. I've told stories before, and I have many more that I could tell, but I usually repeat the same one, uh, about how God financially provided for my family when I was a little kid. We were living in a trailer out in Orange Grove. We had 13 dogs we were taking care of. They were not our own. The family was out of food. My dad was out of work. We were at the bottom of the barrel. We had eaten the cans in the cupboard. There was no cereal left. The dogs were going hungry. It was really, really bad at that season of my life. And I'll never forget that that night, one of the nights in the middle of that season, it was a rainy night and some woman pulled up in the rain to our trailer way out in the middle of an orange grove, way down a country road. She pulled up and she opened her trunk. And she had said something to my parents when she got to the door and knocked. She said, God told me that I was going to be grocery shopping for somebody tonight. And so I just started picking all the things that I thought were necessary. Inside of those bags, many, many bags of groceries. She'd never met us before. She didn't know us from Adam. She showed up at our door having obeyed God in the grocery store, spending hundreds of dollars on groceries. Did not have a kid at home that she was buying, sitting in the fresh. Did not have a dog that she owned, but she bought enough that would supply well more than a dozen dogs. And she showed up as a result of just saying, God told me to come here and to obey, and here I am. I don't know you, I don't know what your needs are, but here are the groceries that I picked. Inside those bags were our favorite cereals, were food enough to supply us until Dad got another job. It was awesome. And I can see the testimony of God's faithfulness, not just in the scripture that's written 2,000 years ago, but I know him to be faithful. Amen? And some of you who are not in your head know him to be faithful. You know him to be faithful in healing or else you wouldn't have written a name up there that says, I'm praying and believing for this person in the realm of healing or for our church or for the other needs that are listed or for salvation. Because you know and have experienced God's good track record, you're able to have your faith increase for the next season that you go into. So, as we go into a new season, as a church, we go into a new year. You go into a new season, some of you with a new location of your business, some of you with retirement plans, some of you with moving recently. All of these different things, they impact our lives. But God is faithful, and we're called to be faithful. We're called to be obedient regardless of the season that we're in. Amen?
Amen. amen. You shout amen and I'll end quick. Okay? Amen? amen. <laughs> See, now you're, now you're The place where our faith and our reality meet is the place where we must continue to obey God and to obey His Word and remain faithfulness. The truth is, obedience and faithfulness are needed in every season of our life. Obedience and faithfulness are needed. In fact, they're necessary. I would say that God values those things and keeps them in a higher priority than many other things. Our faithfulness to Him and to His Word, our obedience to Him and to His Word, He holds those in high regard. How many of you have ever disobeyed? Everybody. Everybody, raise your hand. We have all disobeyed someone, something, and all of us have disobeyed something of God's. Uh, desire for us at some point in our life. And God's grace is sufficient to help us get up and move forward. So God is faithful to his people and his people by default. We have been called sons and daughters. The Bible calls us as children of God, we've been part of his family and his family has his DNA. So God's a giver. Amen. And he encourages and challenges us to be givers. When we talk about finance, he tells us the things that are true in the word of God about how he's blessed before and how he'll continue to bless. And these are important things that you and I both need to understand. This intersection of our faith and reality with our obedience and faithfulness is the place that holds the greatest potential for a miracle. That's really good. I don't, you, maybe you've got to hear that again. That intersection, that place where our faith and our obedience, where it comes together with those things that we say, this is my reality and this is where I'm going to be faithful to God. In that moment, in that intersection, in that crossroads, that's the place where we hold the greatest potential, the highest potential for God to do something miraculous. You think about the healing that Jesus did in the scripture in the New Testament during his ministry. You think about the desperation and the faith of the woman who went through the crowd just to touch his clothing. And scripture says that the virtue of God went into her and healed her. All else failed. She was at the place of desperation, at the place of continuing to have faith. But she really needed God. So the question is, do we really need God? Do we need him in our finances? Do we need him in 2016? Do we need him at our, in our career? Do we need him as we deal with life changes that have happened? Do we need him? Yes, the answer is unequivocally. Yes, we need him. And we need him more than we realize. So today, we're talking about money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 is where I'll read a verse I referenced to you a few minutes ago. I didn't recall the passage but it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus' words, it says this. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Then in verse 32 and 33. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, food and clothing. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. So, no one in this room better be believing God to help them win the Powerball. Because that would just be stupid. Okay? But we can believe 
that God is going to do greater things in our own personal life, in our area of need, whatever it is, whether it's healing or salvation, whether it is financial provision, we can believe God for those greater things, but we also have a role to play. Just like the person to look for the job or just like the parents who try to have the kid and they don't have the kid as of yet, they have to continue to believe that God is going to be faithful. So does God desire to bless his kids? Yes, he does. And I want to challenge you, uh, in the moment of preaching a message on money, we talk about money every Sunday because we talk about the faithfulness of God. We talk about tithing uh, when we do our tithes and offering. Uh, we talk about you should not be a tipper. You should be a tither. We talk about these things because they're in the word of God. Will the lights of this place be paid without your giving? I say yes. You know why? Because I know God is faithful. That's what's awesome about this. But in our obedience, when we obey, God pours out a blessing so much that we couldn't even understand that was coming. I said it in the moment of the miracle that happened in 2014. I said, I believed with all of my heart, and I still to this day believe with all of my heart that the individuals who gave that gift of $150,000 was the icing on the cake of 40 plus years of history of our church, Celebrate Church, previously known as First Assembly, having been faithful in the little things, having been faithful to tithe, having been faithful and faith-filled in the moment of transition and, and walking in the direction of continuing to do what God had told them to do. God was blessing all of that with some icing on the cake. That's incredible. How many of you wish you had icing on the cake like that personally? Amen? Amen. The truth is, God always provides. The Word of God says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe it about God the Father and about God the Holy Spirit. The deity that we trust and know to be the only living God is a God who always, fill in the blank, He always judges sin. He always loves he always will forgive. He has the potential to always and in all ways bless and pour out a blessing so much that we wouldn't understand. In fact, one of the prophets in the Old Testament says that God spoke to him and it's recorded in scripture. Test me in this and know. Be faithful to me in the area of finance and know that I'm God because I'll show you how much I am God. Sometimes in our human knowledge and our human understanding, I started saying something a minute ago, and I, I want to get back to that. Disregard or let your guard down this morning as we talk about money, okay? Think less about the stuff you've heard before, not because I'm going to give you the best message that you've ever heard on money or finance, but because sometimes people have hang-ups when it comes to this. I've met lots of people who say, well, I just, 10% of my income, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big deal if you're doing it and you don't have the right heart when you're doing it and you're not doing it obedience to God. It's a big deal. It's a big deal even when you do have the right heart. It's a big deal when you have a small paycheck and it's a big deal when you've got a big paycheck. It is a big deal. But God requests and requires it from us. I'm not going to get into the theology of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. There may be some uh, people in here you've heard something said before. You know, tithing was an Old Testament thing. Let's just say today, your pastor is saying, according to what we believe here at this church, tithing is not an Old Testament thing. It is also a New Testament thing. Jesus talked about it. In fact, he talked about money more than he talked about hell. 
You get this, right? Some of you churchgoers have been around for a while, so you know. But the truth is that money is a big deal. We all need it. We all work for it. Some of us wish we had more of it. Some of us wish we had less. Anybody? No? Okay. Um, but we all have it, albeit some less than others. But don't believe what you've heard before. Because money is not the root of all evil. That's a misstated, misquoted piece of scripture that all the time bothers me. Because money is something that the world runs on. <laughs> if you've ever gotten an electric bill, you know your house lights. They need your money. Okay? When you flip the switch, you've got to have them paid. So, considering the fact that that is not true, money is not the root of all evil, go with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's set the record straight this morning as we talk about finance. I want to challenge you today to walk out of here with a renewed understanding, a good understanding of finance and scripture. But I also want you to be challenged, if you haven't been before, about God's perspective on money. Listen to what the Word of God says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. It says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. They pierced themselves through with many sorrows, but you, O people of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. So God loves his kids, and he provides for his kids. He's promised to take care of his kids because he's a good father. Amen? Amen. So I've seen and I know in the deepest part of me that God is faithful and he's a God who provides. I preached a message a few weeks ago, which I won't really preach right now, but I'll tell you just a snippet in case you need to remind yourself. That when we see the walls of Jericho coming down, they are blowing and blasting the ram's horn. The ram's horn in ancient Israel was a, a, a musical instrument. It obviously came from an animal. It's hollowed out. They use it to blow this noise that would cause celebration in the people. And when they did that, it was a declaration of this thing. God will provide. The reason why they came to that understanding, the reason why they used the ram's horn, is way back in the Old Testament earlier days, when Abraham went up the mountain to go sacrifice Isaac, Abraham calls the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. This is the place of provision because God has provided a sacrifice in the place of my son. So in the death of that ram, in the use of the ram's horn, it was a signal all the time for the rest of their history that every single time a little kid, an older person, would hear the blowing of that ram's horn, the shofar as it's known today. When they would hear that, they would get excited. Faith would rise in their hearts because they would know and remember that God has provided. He is providing. He always provides. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. 
Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in a place where you need provision. And maybe it's not just money. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the provision for healing or, or it's somebody that you're believing that God will save, that they'll, they'll be set free from drug addiction, whatever it may be. He is the God who breaks through. He's the one who can break through the thickest skin. Amen. He can break through the heart of a serial killer. He can break through the heart of a pastor's kid who's just as wicked as a serial killer. He can break through anything. He can break through bone, metal. He's an amazing God who can do anything. We have a part to play in when we have our faith. The kids have been doing this series upstairs called Faith, Hope, and Love. And they get it from, it's a curriculum thing that they're doing. They're doing it in segments. And they talked last week about doing faith. About, yes, it's about having faith in God, but it's also about doing faith. It's about exercising your faith. It's about not just saying words, but it's about living them out. So when it comes to God, the God who provides, we need to understand that he is the God who provides, but we must do our part in obedience to him. So in 1 Timothy that we read just a moment ago, it says this, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, it wasn't talking about brownie points. It's not talking about something else, you know, airy and out there. It's talking very specifically about profit. It is profitable for you to have godliness. The great gains that are talked about there are better than those on the stock market, especially recently. They're better than your Roth IRA. They're definitely better than a government-issued savings bond. They are better. The, the gains that we get from having godliness and contentment are better than any other gains that we can experience. In that portion of scripture, he lays out some profound truth in those few verses. He says, some have, have strayed from their faith as a result, not of money, but of the love of money. They pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The people of God should flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. The love of money causes devastation. But money itself is not the issue as we've already figured out. So what is the issue? The truth is, the issue is, it lies in our heart. Just like that portion of scripture that I read for offering this morning. When it says that God loves a cheerful giver, it's because he loves the attitude behind the obedience. How many of you have kids or have grandkids? Just raise your hand, okay? Maybe, maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe you've been that kid. How many of you have ever seen or experienced this where... Someone is told, a shorter someone, is told something to do, like say, maybe sit down, and they're not obeying. Well, finally you coax them into the obedience, and they're sitting down, but on the inside they're standing up, right? It's none of you, I know it's just your kids and grandkids, but they got it somewhere. <laughs> just say, just say, they picked it up somewhere. Maybe you can blame your wife's side of the family for that. But they picked it up somewhere. And that's not the kind of obedience that God is looking for. In fact, he says that he would rather our obedience from our hearts than he would rather any of our sacrifices. He tells that to someone in scripture in the Old Testament. He says, listen, I know that you said that you want to bring all these things to the altar of God, but I'm telling you, God wants you to hear him and obey him more than show up with a big check. Because here's the catch with money. You can write a big check, but that's not going to get you into heaven. I'll take it. We'll deposit it. But it's not going to get you into heaven. Are you with me? 
You know this stuff. I'm, I'm reminding you as you go through 2016. Here's a question. If God is a giver, and we, we can see in the life of Job that he did allow things to be taken, Job says something profound. One of the most profound thoughts that are demonstrated in Scripture. Job says, God gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His attitude in that moment of having everything stripped away was what God needed. That's the intersection where the reality of his heart, the reality of his life, and the faith that he had in God met. And in that moment, God was able to do something far exceeding what he would have ever believed. If one of his little friends, one of those jokers, would have said to him, sitting around the campfire while they're telling him, Oh, you've probably sinned. You've done this. You've done that. If one of them had spoken up and said, I guarantee you God is going to double your portion, he might have laughed. He might not have even believed it. But God did something exceedingly, abundantly beyond what he could ever ask or think. It was the attitude which he had that said, God gives and he takes away, but bless be the name of the Lord. So maybe you're hung up on something. Maybe, maybe it's in the area of finance. Maybe you have a problem with the whole, like, how do I do that 10%? And I'm writing the check to celebrate church. I mean, I'm not writing it like, dear God, here's your $100. But God is saying he wants you to obey and have your heart behind it. Mm -hmm. I would even challenge you in this, and I know I've joked earlier in the message. I would even challenge you in this, that God doesn't want your gift brought here if you're not giving it in the right heart. Jesus sits at the treasury. He had to have been invited. He couldn't have just walked in and budged his way into a seat and sat down. He's sitting in the treasury. We'll read it in just a moment. He's sitting there and he's seeing everybody come in and just empty their pockets and just throw all this money in. He's seeing these guys come in, these Pharisees and all these religious folks. And then he sees a widow who comes in, drops two pennies in. But in the context of her life, that gift was greater her heart was in the right place. He was excited about seeing her gift more than the other gifts because of the heart that was behind him. So he's a giving God. And this is a hang-up that some people have because I think by nature, or not by nature, God is a giving God by nature. Let me say that very clearly. I think by our history and experience in the American gospel enterprise, in Christian TV circles, and in Christianity as a whole, People have portrayed God as a taker. When you come to God, he's going to take your habit. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your life. He's going to take your joy. He's going to take that. It really is something that's been talked about. Yes, he changes your life. Yes, he wants to transform you. But whatever we give to him, he transforms and makes it so much better. The truth is, you can live easier and worry-free on 90% of your income when you're obedient in the right heart, giving your 10% to God, than you ever could on the 100% if you kept it to yourself. I've seen God do it in my own life. I can prove it to you. That's in my own life. Some of you can say the same thing, that you've seen God blessed beyond what you could have ever imagined because of your obedience. God's DNA is a giver. He is a giver by nature. He's a good God and a giving God. And whatever we give to him, it's incredible. He is a God of abundance. Mm -hmm. A kid walks up to Jesus and, and gives him some fish and some bread. There's enough left over at the end of feeding thousands of people. 
And it's not going to go wasted. The disciples are getting an extra portion of lunch that day. There's something happening because God, you see Jesus when he performs the first sign of his ministry. He's performing that at the wedding in Cana. And when he does that, it's more and it's better than they had before. God is a good God. He's a giving God. Genesis chapter 4. Go there. And I'm going to start preaching in just a second. Genesis chapter 4. Get there with me. We're going to read a portion of scripture, and I think it's really important just to lay hold of this fact, this reality this morning. I joked and said I had three five-hour energies. It's not true. I just had two, but, you know. How many of you have ever done that? Five-hour energy? No? You stay away from that, don't you? Uh, somebody said, hey, you should try this Red Bull. And I was like, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm naturally energetic most of the time. I don't need all the extra, but sometimes when I do, I get that little extra Pep in my step. That's what you're getting today. Genesis chapter 4, <laughs> verses 1 through 15. Look at it with me. It says this, and we'll read the whole portion of Scripture without interruption, and then we'll talk a little bit about it as we close. Now Adam knew, wife, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. I wonder how Adam felt that. <laughs> I finally got me a man. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought to the firstborn of his flock, brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever, came, whoever kills Cain, Vengeance shall be taken on him seven times over, or sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. He had quite a bit to complain about, as you can see. And he's definitely whining there. Have you ever felt like your punishment was greater than you could bear? Do you, did you forget your teenage years? Come on, seriously. Did you ever think that your punishment was greater than you could bear? It absolutely, we have all faced times like that in our lives. 
But why did God look favorably on Abel and his offering and not on Cain and his offering? We've heard messages about this if you've been in Christian circles and visited churches. If you know some of scripture, you know that Abel was killed by Cain. You know a little bit of the gist of the story we just read. So was it a matter of the type of offering? Is it because Abel came and brought the, the best and Cain didn't bring the best? Or it's, is it because Cain brought fruit and Abel brought blood, a blood sacrifice? Was it a matter of the quality of how good it was? That It has been said that we should tithe 10%, and it's in Scripture, that we should tithe 10%. And a great practice to do that is to take the first 10%. Don't pay any other bills before you, can I say this? Pay God. Before you tithe. Before you exercise your faith in the area of finance. We have the ability for you to do that every week. Amen? And you can do that 24 hours a day at our website. You can give online. We can do that at any time. We can give the first to God. Why should we do that? Why should we give God the first? Because he deserves the first. Because he deserves the whole. Because he's the source of all. So it's just a small exercise of our faith when you really consider it. So was it the quality, some fruits versus the fat portions of the firstborn? Was it a matter of the heart of the person who is making the offering? Hebrews 11 verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though or through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God himself testified of his gift, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Very interesting and nearly verging on mystical to be thinking about what Jesus says in two places of scripture. He says that the blood of the righteous calls out to God. Those who have been killed who were righteous is calling out. It says that, G that God says in Genesis that his blood is speaking from the ground. Very interesting thought. To think that righteousness follows you even past the grave. But wickedness haunts you not just here in this life, but also in the life to come. Cain now has a mark on him. He can go wherever he wants to, but when he tills the ground, he's not going to get the same product he got before. He was wicked in his heart. It says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. We should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Jesus calls Abel righteous and speaks about the blood of the righteous and mentions other people in Matthew 23 and in Luke chapter 11. You can look those up at some point. So Cain seems to have given what was easy, but Abel gave what was expected. Abel gave what was best, and Cain might have very well given what was left. Here, I've got a theory. I'm going to tell you because I'm going to tell you my theory based on my extrapolation of Scripture. Not because we could say absolutely without a shadow of doubt between Genesis 1 to 4 that God said a blood sacrifice is necessary. But I'm going to tell you what my thought is based on Scripture. My thought is this. The first sacrifice that happens on the earth, the first death that happens on the earth, is that of an animal in order to cut the skins, in order to clothe the nakedness, the unrighteousness 
of Adam and Eve, they would have witnessed the first death on the earth. I really believe, according to Scripture and how God set up creation, that we would not have been experiencing death had we not had the curse of sin. Adam and Eve might still be here, walking the, the earth and doing conferences, if they, and probably clothes, praise God. But, uh, I mean, it would be cool to just know and just kind of think in that direction for just a moment. But come back to that reality of Adam and Eve having seen that. Then God putting an angel in the garden, blocking their path with flaming swords and saying, you're booted, you're kicked out of here, you cannot return because of your disobedience. And think about pain having been born and maybe hearing the story from his mother. Maybe hearing the story of his father. Maybe gaining a root of bitterness that God is a taker. He's not a giver, he's a taker. Cain's attitude in this moment is not correct. And oftentimes, we can find ourselves in that same place. That's where the problem lies. It's in our attitude. It's in our heart. And I'm not telling you that today because I need you to come and take up another offering. And we gotta do. I'm not doing that today. I'm saying that I believe with all of my heart that when we say we're believing God for greater things, if we're going to do it in the area of finance, we've got to exercise our faith and our obedience. So our duty is to make sure that our actions are right and that our hearts are are in the right place. I challenge you. Take a few days this week and just look up. If, if you have to Google it, you can. Look up instances of Jesus talking about money in the New Testament. You'll find some really interesting paradigms, a, a shift of, of our thinking that would be there where God says, basically, if you give it to me, I'll take care of you. But what do you mean? I have less when I do that. Yes, but you're depending on God. This is good for us to know. The lesson of Cain is that sin and rebellion runs through our attitudes and through our actions. But those, and that those two things can ultimately not be divorced. Rebellion and sin are partners in life and in Christ forever. And obedience and faithfulness are partners in blessing. They're the things that we need to have in our life in order to continue to see God bless us. So when we look at the lady who's the widow in Scripture, and I'm closing because I've preached like three hours already, Mark chapter 12, okay? You can look there really quick. I'm going to read these Scripture, these few verses. It says this. Now Jesus sat opposite. Some of you are really wondering if I did have three hours of Jesus. It's not true. Verse 41. Just what? It only takes one. It only takes one. That's right. You see these. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury in verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. And he saw how the people put money, how they put money into the treasure. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which, was, which makes a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they put in out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Some of you might be saying, yes, just a few minutes ago, I gave out of my poverty. God, honor it. Jesus is making the point here. She gave more because in the context of her life, it meant more. We can't measure the contribution that we make against someone else's context. When those individuals gave $150,000, they didn't lose sleep that night. 
They have a lot more that they can give to any other place at any other time. When you give $150 or $250 here to this church, it may be a big pinch for you. You may really have to lean in and say, God, I need to trust you. But we cannot measure our contributions against someone else's context. Like these people who would have said, look at her. She just put in two pennies. God measures your contribution in the context of your capacity. So the question isn't about how much you have or about the contents of the offering that you give. The real question is about your capacity. What do you have the capacity to do? I want to challenge you, those who are home folk, who are celebrate church people, who are here, who call this place home. I want to challenge you in something. To test God in this and see him prove himself faithful. There have been people who, and I wouldn't mind as long as we set up an arrangement that was signed by a lawyer, uh, a money back guarantee for your time. That you could give for 30 days faithfully, no longer tipping but tithing. That you could exercise, that you could be generous above and beyond that and do something even greater and exercise your faith. And if God doesn't bless you, then he's not who he says he is. That's pretty incredible. God says, test him in this and see that he's faithful. So here's the thing, and it's really hard for me to say this personally, and it's hard for you probably to hear it. But if it's not sacrificial, it's not significant. The obedience that we offer is obedience, plain and simple. But above and beyond that, when it comes to the sacrificial giving, to the generosity of that, it's not really significant until we accumulated our obedience, until we passed that obedience test. Everything worthwhile in life is uphill. Everything that we say when we say the hard work is worth putting in, it really is. And even in the context of finance in your own life, I want to challenge you to do that very same thing. Challenge God in this, this year, that he would do immeasurably more than you could ask or even imagine. This is how God builds his church individually. I'm not talking about so we can have another building. I'm telling you, that's how he builds you as a person, is through your exercise of faith. Amen? Stand with me today. Hope you're not late for your lunch plans. Hope you're not mad at me. If you are, that's okay. You can do it. I hope you've got something today out of the message that we're to have the right attitude in our financial life. Yes, we're to save. Yes, we're to give. Yes, we're to obey in the tithe. Yes, we're to do above and beyond and be generous. And many of you are. This is not your pastor shouting at you. Because I know that this church, out of every church that I've ever heard of or known, is one of the most generous churches I've ever seen. Our people together are the greatest people that I've ever served and probably will ever serve. I really do believe that. I don't say that from a superficial place. I say that from the depth of my heart, that I believe with all of my heart that God has given us as individuals uh, a level of generosity that is unmatched in other places. And God's already blessed that, and he's going to continue to bless that. Would you covenant and promise him that today that you'll be faithful this year in your area of finance? Close your eyes with me.